you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you, wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful to be with you today. How are we all doing? We're good. Uh, If you're new or visiting, my name is Guy. Joy and privilege to serve as the pastor of City on a Hill Church, committed to knowing Jesus, making Jesus known. Special welcome to those who are new and visiting, those joining us online. In fact, can we thank the Lord for His goodness and grace, which unites us all. So it's Sunday afternoon in November last year. I've just finished my first ever triathlon. And uh, for those of you keeping score, that's the third sermon reference to my triathlon. Uh, 99 to go, we will get there. Uh, As it turns out, on the day of the triathlon, after I finish the race, I need to get to Chicago. On the same day, I've got to fly to Chicago to be part of a week-long study intensive as part of my course on spiritual formation. So as soon as I, this is the plan, my plan is I'm going to finish the race and I'm going to jump in the car, drive down to to Brisbane Airport. I'm going to get the last flight out of Brisbane, then make the 14-hour journey to LA, get through customs, pick up the band bags, get on a new flight that'll take me to Chicago, which is going to land at 6 a.m. Monday morning, giving me just enough time to walk into my class at 8 a.m. What could possibly go wrong? 
I get in the car to make my way to Brisbane Airport. Siri, she says 90 minutes tops. Siri's lying. She's lying. It's a three and a half hour crawl through heavy traffic. Thankfully, I'd left a little bit of margin in my calendar. So with a mad dash at the end, I managed to scramble my way to the, 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 the desk at Qantas and to get on my flight. And I get into my seat and I'm like, yes, I made it. I'm farewelling Brisbane and I'm off to LA. And I love that experience where the engine's moving and you take off and you reach that cruise height and the seatbelt light goes off and the seats go back and you're there and you're resting. My body's sore. I've been up since 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm sore from head to toe. So I'm like reclining back into my seat, putting the eye mask on, ready to get some rest. About an hour into the flight, I hear this. Uh, This is your captain speaking. Uh, Would there be a doctor on the flight Now, as it turns out, I'm doing a doctorate of ministry, but it turns out that's not a real doctor. (laughs) So I say a quick prayer, assuming that someone will take care of it, and I go back to get some rest. Two hours-ish later, I feel the plane begin to descend. And I think to myself, are we in LA already? That went so quick. What did I have to worry about? And then the captain gets on the microphone and he explains that we're going to make a short stop to drop off the passenger to make sure she gets the help that she needs. Where were we landing? Numea. Has anyone been there? One hand. (laughs) I'd never been there before. It's like an island in the Pacific, which sounds amazing, only it's 2 a.m. in the morning. It's pitch black, and we can't leave our seats or this plane, right? So you're thinking this is not going to take very long, should take a couple of minutes, and then off we go. And I'm thinking about the passenger, as I should, but I'm also watching the clock, because I've got a connecting flight to make, I've got a course to get to. Turns out that as they are taking the passenger off the plane, and she was fine, she got the care that she needed, but as they were taking her off the plane, some moron managed to break the door of the plane. Right? She was fine, the door is busted. And I don't know if you know this, but you can't fly a plane with a busted door. Right? So here they are, waking up everyone in Numea, trying to find an engineer who can come and fix the door. Do you know how long we spent stuck on that tarmac in pitch dark? I mean, it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, We can't leave our seats. Do you know how long we spent waiting for the thing to be fixed? 30 minutes, two hours? No, seven hours. Right? And people are getting frustrated and they're complaining and they're grumbling. And and I'm smiling because I'm a pastor, but... (laughs) But inside, I am hating life. I hate, I'm an impatient person. I don't like things I'm working. I've got, and I'm looking at the clock. I've got to get to a very important class on spiritual formation. (laughs) After seven hours being stuck in the same seat, the captain gets back on the microphone and you can hear the engines are going and we're starting to move. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Here we go. I'm off to LA. And then he explains that because the crew have been working for so long, they need to clock off, which means we can no longer fly to LA, but have a new destination in mind. 
Brisbane. <laughs> and the real cherry on top, the real cherry on top is once we finally fly all the way back to Brisbane, the captain explains there's too much fuel on the plane, so we just need to circle for another three hours in the air to burn off the fuel so that we can land. I tallied it in the end. I had spent 18 hours in the same seat and had gone nowhere. I still remember the moment where I, along with 300 disheveled passengers, walked their way through Brisbane Airport. Have you seen, like, Dawn of the Dead? It's like (laughs) zombies, like, angry at each other, angry at everyone. They're complaining and they're bitter. And we had no idea how to get out of this mess. Why do I share my pain with you? I share this story because when we open the book of Joshua, when we come to this moment in Scripture, we need to appreciate that the people of God are stuck. They are in the wilderness, and they have nowhere to go, right? They know that they're supposed to be in the promised land. They know that they're supposed to be in a land flowing with with, with milk and and honey. That's where they're supposed to be. But instead, they're stuck in the wilderness. And do you know how long they've been stuck in the desert? 40 years. 40 years of isolation. 40 years of barrenness. 40 years of being stuck on the tarmac. And and I suspect that you you can relate to that feeling because isn't it true that there's so many seasons in our life, moments in our life where we look to where we, we feel we should be, but instead feel stuck where we are. And maybe that's a feeling you've felt when it came to your career. Maybe, maybe as you look at your job, your career, you, you kind of look at where you think you should be or where you'd hope to be, but at the same time, you're, you're seeing a lack of progress. At the same time, you feel stuck where you are. It could be something you're experiencing in terms of relationships, whether you're married or, or looking to date. You have this vision in life of, of excitement and, 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 and connection, and yet you realize you feel stuck where you are. And of course, this is true when it comes to faith. You know, at the start of 2023, I know a lot of people have great uh, vision uh, for, for God and a desire to go deep with God and to experience His blessing and to grow in Christ's likeness. We have vision in mind, yet we all know that it's very easy, isn't it, to be distracted in life, to be defeated by life. And we see that we don't get to where God wants us to be. We get stuck where we are. This is why I'm so excited about this series. Because Joshua has a word for us. The book of Joshua, God has a word for us that is living and active and so powerful and so relevant. Uh, It's a story of courage over compromise. It's a story of dependence over doubt. It's a story of a people who have to face into their fears and step forward in faith. So if you've got a Bible handy, 
I'd love you to come with me to Joshua chapter 1. No shame in looking at the table of contents at the top of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's cool. We've got uh, a Bible reading on the screen uh, above. I want us to break this down into three acts. Act 1. We're going to look at an inconvenient call. So our story begins in verse 1 with these words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So our journey with Joshua begins with the death of Moses. And we need to appreciate the significance and sadness of that death. Moses was called by God to lead God's people, Israel. And it was Moses who ascended the mountain. It was Moses who received the law. It was Moses who confronted Pharaoh and brought down those series of plagues. And of course, it was Moses who held up the staff and parted the Red Sea that the people of God might walk from slavery into freedom. But as we read in verse 1, Moses is now dead. And not only is he, is he dead, but Moses was never able to lead God's people into the promised land. You know that 40 years before the death of Moses, the people of God were actually about to enter the land of promise. The Lord had prepared the way, and they were days from entering in. And you'll know from the book of Numbers that Moses sent into the land uh, the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel to scope out the land that the Lord was giving them. And so these 12 men, known as the 12 uh, spies of Israel, they go into the land and they come back to report all that they had seen. But what happens? These men return back trembling in fear. They saw danger at every turn. And they were afraid. They were full of doubts. They were scared. You see, it's helpful to know that the Canaanites who occupied, it, occupied this land were revered and feared by many. They had a fortified cities and towering walls. They had a strong army. Uh, they were known for their sorcery, their witchcraft, their idolatry. They uh, used and abused slaves. Uh, it's even reported that they would practice human sacrifice that on occasions used children on the altars of their pagan gods. And so the spies see all of this and they run in fear and report to Israel, Israel, look, we are but grasshoppers in the presence of giants. This is a fool's game. This is a dead end. And so Israel hear this report and they raise their fist at God saying, we don't want any part of this plan. And so what does God do? The Lord gives them over to what they want. In judgment, God says to that generation, you shall not enter the land of promise. For the 40 days that the spies scoped out the land, you will now spend 40 years lost wandering in the desert. 
right? The desert is the place of barrenness and isolation. The desert is a wandering place, a confusing place. The desert is where you are, when you, where you don't know where you are, and what you're doing when you don't know what you are doing. It's a place of lostness and isolation, right? Some of you know that uh, there are reasons we get stuck in life that come down to circumstance. But when we look at the Bible, we see that some of our lostness isn't a result of bad luck, but bad sin. In Romans 1, Paul explains that when you exchange the truth of God for a lie, when you worship created things instead of your creator, he hands you over to your sinful desires. In other words, they're not just being punished for their sin, but are now being punished by their sin. He hands them over. And so as you read the opening line of Joshua and stand at the gravesite of Moses, the people of God are lost. They're isolated. They're struggling in this spiral of sin and shame. But you know what I love about the Bible? Do you know what thrills me about the story of Joshua? It's recognizing City on a Hill that when it comes to the purpose of God, when it comes to the plan of God, there are no full stops. Moses may be dead and buried in the ground, but the promise of God is alive. Amen? The promise of God is alive. And so he comes to Joshua after 40 years of waiting and wandering. He comes to Joshua after 40 years and says, Joshua, now is the time for salvation. Now is the time for redemption. Now is the time to rise up. Arise, go over this Jordan, Joshua, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Could you imagine being Joshua in this moment? All he's ever known is the desert. And yet here he is, hearing the voice of God grappling with his call on his life. For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know that this is not the first time that we meet Joshua. We actually meet him in Exodus 17, where he serves as the military leader for Israel. We see him lead Israel to victory over the Amalekites, all of which to say he's a man of muscle, but we can't limit him to that. There's more to the story. You see, I shared how 40 years prior... There were 12 spies who went into the land and the spies returned trembling in fear. But there were two men who were different. Two men who didn't fall to pieces. Two men who decided to trust God. Instead of seeing how small they were, they trusted how big God is. And who were those two men? Caleb and Joshua. Joshua trusted God. And that trust, that faith is about to be tested once more. Do you know how old Joshua is when he receives this revelation from God, when he's called to cross over the Jordan? Do you know how old he is? 
I mean, looking at that video, you're probably thinking like 23 maybe, 32. The dude is nearly 80. He's nearly 80, right? He, he's old, right? He may have won a few battles back in the day. The only thing he's breaking now is his back, right? He's old. You may have noticed in the Bible reading, there's a lot of repetition, right? The Lord says the same command to him over and over again. That's not dramatic effect. Joshua is hard of hearing. And God speaks to him. Like, I wanted to underscore that for you because I think it's true that we live in this culture today that idolizes youth. We idolize youth and hold that up. And, you know, like in my kids, I've got four kids. And to them, like, once you reach like 25, you're old. If you reach 30, it's all over from there. Right? I, I'm 43. I, I'm pretty sure that doesn't make me old. It certainly doesn't make me young. But who cares? Because when it comes to God, it doesn't matter if you're 23, 43, 193. When it comes to God, look, God doesn't see as man sees. The Lord looks at the heart. Where we look at frailty, he's looking for faith. Where Joshua might have been winding up his life thinking, hey, I'm coming to the end. The Lord's like, no, 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 I've got a purpose for you. It's just starting. The Lord says to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Right? So this is the land of promise that God gave to Abraham in in Genesis 12. And we see this passed down, this promise of the land to uh, Isaac and and Jacob and, and Moses. And this is what's before Joshua and his people. A place of inheritance, a place of flourishing and blessing, a place where the city would be established, where the people would dwell with God and God would be with his people. They would be a city on a hill that would shine a light and be a blessing to the nations. This is what's before Joshua, and yet Joshua knows it ain't coming easy. He's old, the enemy is real, and the people of God have been to this point before and failed. So what does Joshua need in this moment of testing? What do we all need when we face the call of God and are met by our own fears? Act 2. Let's look at Joshua's corner. So in the midst of fear, the Lord says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Uh, To walk in the fullness of God's blessing, Joshua must cross over from what is known to what is unknown. He must now step into the arena of hostility and opposition. But while that challenge is real, Joshua has every reason to trust and obey the Lord. Why? 
Because God, Joshua knows that God's word is faithful and good. He knows that God's word, his promise is secure and steadfast. He knows that God's word is not like man's word. It never returns empty. I remember many years ago now when my uh, eldest daughter was four years of age and she went into this phase where she loved Care Bears. You know what I'm talking about? Those little cute little dolls, Care Bears, right? She was desperate to get a new Care Bear. And being the cheap dad that I am, I said, no, no, I'm not going to buy you one. I will make you one. So I pull out like the sewing kit, some pink uh, fabric, and I start, you know, cutting out these little arms and sewing that together. And I try and sew together what kind of looked like little legs and got the body and stuffed it with stuffing and sewed that together and put it all together. And it was looking good. And I say, Summer, look what I made for you. She's like, oh, that's great, but it's missing something. I'm like, what? She's like, it's head. (laughs) Oh, don't worry about that. That's a little more complicated. I'll get to that tomorrow. Well, tomorrow came and tomorrow went. And the next weekend came and the next weekend went. Three years later, Summer comes out of her bedroom with a headless Care Bear saying, you remember when you promised to make me a Care Bear? I hated that moment because it reminded me of what I know is true, that sometimes my words can be cheap. Sometimes our promises can be empty. I'm sure if you survey your own film reel in your own life, you will see moments where you've said things but not done things. Or maybe you've been hurt by someone else who promised something to you, but it was never delivered. This is where we need to anchor ourselves in the promise of God. Sometimes that promise is now. Sometimes that promise is not yet. But the word of the Lord is secure and steadfast. As Isaiah says, it never returns empty. It always achieves the purpose for which God intended it to succeed. In other words, don't put your trust in the words of man. Don't put your trust in the words of our world. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in God's word. It's secure. And that's what builds the confidence in Joshua. The other thing to note here is that the Lord not only affirms the security of his promise, but the power of his presence. In life, you need to have security in his promise, but assurance of his presence. Look at, he says in verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you, Joshua, all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Listen, Joshua is not a fool. He knows that beyond these waters lies opposition. Right? I mean, the odds are not in his favor. But he knows that he is not crossing those waters alone. He goes in the presence and power of God. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I watched Creed uh, with my two boys. Anyone know what I'm talking about? No one. Not the 90s rock band. I'm talking Rocky, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Still no hands. Oh, there's two people. Thank you. Right? I, as a kid, uh, 
loved the Rocky movies. Absolutely loved them. The story of an underdog from the poor part of town who rises up, enters into the arena, and is able to do what he never thought he could do. It's a story of victory and courage and strength. And Creed continues that journey with a young orphaned boy who's grappling with a harsh and difficult world, and he feels insecure, and he struggles with fears. But that gets turned around when he meets his hero, Rocky. And Rocky takes him under his wing and Rocky decides to train him and they fight together and they learn together and they journey together. They become one together. And there's this great moment in the movie where Creed is uh, weighing up the opportunity to fight the heavyweight champion of the world. Right? And the odds are stacked way against him. And he really sees this opportunity, but he's got a lot of insecurity and doubt. And he's trying to get through that. And there's this great moment, this great line that I want to share with you. Standing on the steps of his apartment, weighing up the opportunity, he turns to Rocky. And you know what he says? He says, if it was anyone else in my corner, I wouldn't do it. But I got you. So in boxing, the corner of the ring is where the coach is, and he's there to cheer you on. He's there to tell you when to to duck and when to hit. He's there to heal your wounds and, and help you go the distance. And here's Creed saying, if anyone else was in my corner, if it wasn't Rocky in my corner, I wouldn't do it, but I got you. So here is a question you have to ask yourself. Who is in your corner? Who's in your corner? Who do you have to cheer you on? Who do you have to help you know when to hit and when to duck? Who do you have to bind up your wounds? Who do you have to help you run the race and fight the fight? If you're doing life in your own strength, you're in a fool's game. But you who know that in your corner, you have the presence and power of God, that changes everything. What would it look like in your life to arise every morning in the confidence that God is with you and God is for you? What difference will it make in your life this week to know that when you go to the office or when you go to that family member or you go to the university, what difference is it going to make when you realize that in your corner, you ain't fighting alone. The maker of heaven and earth is with you. He is for you. Fear says, I'm alone. Faith says, God is here. God is with me. Fear holds back. Faith enters in. Fear freezes in the face of evil. Faith fights for what is good. Fear says, I can't. Faith says, God can and God will. City on a Hill in 2023, let us be a people of faith. Let us be a people who move forward in our life, to love courageously, to serve boldly, to give generously, to learn daily, to pray continuously, and above all else, 
to serve and worship Jesus boldly. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but to be men and women of faith. And this leads to a third and closing point. Act three, the call for courage under fire. What is required of Joshua? What is required of us all in this hour? Verse six, the Lord says, be strong. Be strong, Joshua. Be courageous. For you shall cause this people to enter, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. You might want to underscore those words. Because the Lord shares them and presses on the heart of Joshua the call to be strong and be courageous. We tend to think of courage as a natural-born gift. We imagine uh, heroic warriors who have this natural ability to be courageous when it matters. But you need to appreciate that courage is always a choice. In fact, in the kingdom of God, courage is an act of obedience. We are to obey God and be courageous. God has promised Joshua the land. He has assured him of his presence. And now he must choose who he will serve. Will he freeze in fear or will he be strong? Will he be courageous? In my experience, uh, people of courage are generally marked by two things. They're marked by brutal honesty and living hope. Brutal honesty and living hope. Think about it. Joshua needed to own the fact that he was made for more than the desert. He needed to recognize that this wasn't the place that God wanted him to say. He needed to see that it was not good for him and it was not good for the people of God. He needed to be honest about that. And we need to be honest with where we are in life. If you're stuck in an unhealthy relationship, if you're being brought down by a toxic workplace, if you're stuck in a cycle of unrepentant sin, you need to be honest and call it for what it is. If you sugarcoat the mess, justify it, explain it away, you'll stay there forever. You'll never get to where God wants you to be. Courageous people define reality with brutal honesty. But they are also marked by living hope. Joshua had every reason to throw in the towel, to give in. I mean, he spent 40 years, and that's all he knew. And yet he had a living hope that believed that if he trusted God, if he obeyed God's word, he would see more than he could ever think or imagine. And I want to impress that for us today. To know that God has purpose for our life. A life that we might flourish. A life that we might grow. A life where we might take new ground for the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, we have been born again in Christ to a living hope. The other thing to say about courage is it is almost always built through daily discipline and practice. 
You see, when a firefighter storms the gates of a burning building, we admire their courage and bravery, as we should. But what you need to appreciate is that their courage is born out of hard work and practice. They've spent their life practicing simulation and working in smaller settings to build that sense of courage into the fiber of their being. Why? Because as someone once said, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. In the same way, you who want to be used by God in a big way need to be courageous now. You need to be courageous now. Practicing courage by repenting of that small yet persistent sin. Practicing courage today by not leaning in on your own understanding, but bringing whatever need you have to God in prayer. Practicing courage by taking hold of every moment, whether the workplace, the university, the home, taking hold of every moment to stand secure in the gospel and shine the light of God. When you are courageous in the small things, God will entrust you with the big things. And look at how this plays out in Joshua. God says, be strong, very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. As I was reading this text, I was struck by this instruction. Joshua knows that beyond the river are the Canaanites. God knows that they're facing this intimidating army. And you would expect that if you were writing the script here, that the Lord would have told him about assembling the army, preparing the chariots, sharpening the sword. But instead, what do we hear? The call on Joshua's life to dwell in the word. Joshua, when it comes to the giants you're about to face, when it comes to the difference between life and death and failure and success, this is the difference. You must dwell in my word. That must be your daily practice. By day and by night, you dwell in the word. You understand what the law says, and you don't just hear that word, you obey it. You're meditating on God's word. So much so that he says to Joshua, it's got to be on your lips. That every moment, the word of the Lord is coming out. That is going to be what you need when it comes to these enemies. That is going to be what you need when it comes to your fears. That is going to be the difference between you staying in the wilderness and you entering in. You've got to dwell in God's word. I know that each of us have ambition about what 2023 could look like. We have hopes and dreams for our jobs and, uh, and our families and our relationships and our study. Might I suggest that as you think about this year ahead, you resolve in your heart right now to dwell in God's word. Repent of your unbelief. Build into your rhythm a commitment 
to dwell in God's word. Right? The Bible is given to us city on a hill, not so that we can flex our muscles at the next Bible trivia night. We don't read the Bible just so we can impress other people with what we know. We don't read the Bible so we can debate with other Christians. We read the Bible because we know we are at war. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities that reign and rule. Every day in your life, if you're in Jesus, you're at war. And unfortunately, some people are walking through this life with a butter knife. The Bible is the sword you need. And you get a firm grip on that sword when you resolve to read it, to dwell in it. Right? This is why we devote a lot of time to God's Word at City on a Hill. This is why I encourage you to prioritize that. Don't just come on a Sunday ever so often. Build it into your weekly rhythm. Dive deep into God's Word with your gospel community. Ask one another, what are you learning? How are you seeking to apply this in your life? If you want to go deeper, join the greenhouse, a cohort of men and women who want to sharpen their sword because they know the battle is real. We are a people of the word. And I want to help you see the glory, the joy, the success that can be found. Not worldly success, but the success of knowing God and living a bold and adventurous life for him. How does Joshua respond to God's word? How does Joshua and the people of Israel respond to this call? To answer that, you'll need to come back next week for part two. Uh, But as I close and, and the band comes up and we prepare to respond, I want us to meditate and reflect on what we've heard. Um. I appreciate that when we look at a story like Joshua, we're dealing with a unique time in salvation history. There is some distance between this story and where we are today, but you need to appreciate and believe that the same God who spoke to Joshua, who's at work then, is the same God who is living and active today. And you're here not by accident. I believe that the Word is living and active And that right now we are called to surrender ourselves to God. And that's relevant for us all. You know, you might be here just visiting church and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. You need to know that God has a purpose for your life. It's no accident that you were born. It's no accident that you made it to planet Earth. It's no accident that you're here today. God has a purpose for your life. He made you to flourish to reign and rule in this world. He made you to prosper in Him. He made you to to be fashioned into the image and likeness of Jesus, to be a man or woman of courage and strength, of of truth-telling and boldness and gospel victory. He's made you for all of those things. And yet right now, outside of His intervening grace, you are standing in the wilderness. Just like Israel, you're there. God wants you to cross over. God wants you to enter the fullness of His promise. 
The wilderness is the place of searching and yet not finding, of knocking and not hearing. Don't stay there. Be honest with yourself and know that God is good and that in Jesus, He's done everything to lead you to life. And doesn't this ring true for the believers here today? Because here's what I know. Even though you might have crossed over those waters and you're secure in Christ, sometimes it's easy to forget the fullness of God's blessing. Ephesians 1 says He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And just as Joshua had to put his foot on every aspect of the land, so we need courage and strength to enjoy and experience all that God has for us. Some of us know that we're forgiven, and yet we still hang on to the shame. Some of us know that in Christ we're free, and yet we're still a slave to the world. Some of us know God has made us for a purpose, and that we're to push back darkness with light, and yet... We feel stuck in that place. Why? We fear. We fear man. We fear what other people say. We fear missing out. We fear so many things. Listen, trust God. Be strong. In Jesus, we see the true and perfect Savior of this world who entered into our darkness and gave us life. He entered into death, dying the death that you should have died. And he crosses over into life, securing life for all who would believe. This is a word you can trust. And just as the Lord said to Joshua, so Jesus says to the church, behold, I am with you. I'll give you a moment wherever you are right now, maybe to close your eyes, just to reflect on some of the things you've heard today and maybe even to name those fears that you have. Some of those giants that you see in your life that seem insurmountable. I want you to name those things to the Lord in your heart. To be real about them. To give them to the Lord. And to ask that God would fill you with his spirit. Not of fear, but of courage and strength. I'll give you a moment to reflect on what you've heard. To pray in your heart. And Josh will lead us in song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.